How many of you guys have ever either read this story for yourself or had somebody read the story out of the Bible to you or just told you the story of a boy named David and a giant named Goliath? Have you ever heard that story before? Tell me a little bit about what you remember from that story. Do you remember much? David killed the giant with rocks. David killed the giant with rocks. Cool. That's a good. That's that's a good remembrance. That's pretty much. He used a slingshot. He had a he had rocks. He put it in the slingshot. Actually, um, our modern day slingshots are like this with rubber, but his actually was like a leather strap, and he had it, and he would and let go of the rock and hit it. It said it sunk into the forehead. That's where it said the rock hit him was right in the forehead, probably right between the eyes. But the Bible tells us how tall this giant was. Do you know how tall he was? Do you remember? Hundred feet? Not quite. But let me show you. This is what this is what it was. Hmm. This is probably the easiest one. Oh no no no! We're not doing stupid stuff. Please see that. That's his head. That's the giant's head. Why are you looking at me like that? That's where his head is. Oh, I forgot. That's where his head is. Isn't that crazy? That's where his head would be. Nine feet tall. Now, how old was David? Do you remember? We talked about it last week. He was about 15 or 16 years old. So about a little bit younger than Valen, right? About the same age as Valen or Brooklyn. Okay, so about that age. And it was so cool. The giant was trying to scare him. He's on. you come at me with just sticks and rocks. I got my sword, I got my shield, I got my spear. I'm going to kill you. And David's like, nah, I don't think so. You know what David had? He had five things besides his sling. It said he went down to the little brook and he got five Smooth stones. I tried to find some smooth stones. You can hold on to it. And here's, here's another one. Here's another one. I only have five, so you have to share. You guys share with each other. Just, you can hold on to them and look at them, feel them. But those, that would hurt if it hit you in the forehead, wouldn't it? That would hurt pretty bad. Okay. Well, I was reading, somebody had written a story about David, and they said, that they named the rocks. That's kind of kooky. Naming rocks. What do you think the rocks could be named? Um, rock, 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 and rock. That's a good thing. Well, what they did, what this person did was they named rocks based on what they see in the story. Let me show you. Craig, would you bring up that slide that I did? Five stones. One is called courage. What is courage? What? Not being scared. Being brave. David said, don't worry about a thing, king. I'm going to go fight this Philistine because I know that God's going to take care of me. So he was brave. He had courage. He wasn't afraid of that giant. The other rock was called confidence. 
Confidence. What does confidence mean? Being confident. Believing that it can happen, right? And he said, you know what? When I was watching after my dad's sheep, a lion came up and I was able to kill the lion because God helped me. And a bear came up and I was able to kill the bear because God helped me. God's going to help me get take care of this giant. I don't have to worry about it. If God can help me take care of a bear and God can help me take care of a lion, she can help me take care of a nine foot tall man. That's confidence. You know what else he did? The preparation. What does preparation mean? Preparing, getting ready for something. Well, guess what he did to prepare? The king tried to get him to put on armor. Remember the story from last week? He, they tried to put on armor and David tried to walk around. He was like, I can't use this. This makes it too hard for me to walk around. So he took all the armor off and just wore his regular clothes. But he didn't just go up to the giant trying to take care of him without getting something to, to prepare. What did he get? He prayed. He prayed, definitely. He had practiced and practiced and practiced with the slingshot. And the Bible says he went down and got five stones, put them in his pouch so that he could go out onto the battlefield and he'd have his sling and his five stones. But he only needed one. Yes, sir. Which stone did he use to kill the I think it was probably the victory one. But we'll get to that in just a second. Trust. That's the fourth stone. The fourth stone represents trust. David didn't say, I have the skill. David didn't say, I know how to do this. David said, God will do it for me. He will do it with me. He'll do it through me. David trusted God. And then the last one, like you just asked, is victory. God gave David the victory. It said, this is what David said when he was talking to the king. He said, the battle isn't ours. The battle is God's. That's why David had victory, because he trusted that God was going to take care of him and God was going to fight for him and God was going to do what God was going to do. And David didn't have to be afraid. And that's the same thing. We don't have nine foot tall giants that are trying to kill us, do we? I don't think so. But we do have things that scare us sometimes. And we do have things that make us sad and we do have things that make us sorry. And so we can still turn to God and say, God, I need courage. I need confidence. I need you to help me prepare for whatever it is that it's coming. I need you to help me to trust you. And I need you to bring victory to me as I go through this. You can do that even with the things that you face, even though they're not nine foot tall giants. All right, let's pray. You what? That's right. They're not even that big. You shouldn't be afraid. Let's pray. Jesus, help these kids. Help them to see what you did for David and that it can also happen for them. And help them, Father, to walk in that trust, that confidence, that courage, the preparedness and the victory, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go to your class now. Rock, 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 and rock. Those are the good names for the rock. Well, I just told the story so we don't have to read all of it, but open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17 because there are a couple of things I want you to read for yourself. Uh-oh, no, t- no class, sorry. Sorry, forgot about that. My mistake. Okay. First Samuel 
chapter 17, verse 43. David has already met with the king. He's already told the king he can handle it. He's already told the king about how God would take, take care of him through it. And then he went and got the rocks. And then he had to actually go and do the battle. And when it happened that he did the battle, what happened? What did the Philistine Goliath say to King to David in verse 43? Somebody want to read that? 1743. First so the Philistine cursed David by the Philistines' gods. So he basically was saying, you think your God is all that? Let me tell you about my God. My God could whoop your God with one hand tied behind his back. My God could whoop your God with no hands. You know why Goliath would have to say his God could whoop our God with no hands? Because his God was Dagon. Anybody remember that story when we first started studying for Samuel? How the Philistines, of which Goliath was one, captured the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it into their temple of their god, Dagon, and set it up next to his statue. And what happened the next morning? The statue of Dagon was fall on the ground prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. So they picked him up and set him back down in his place. And the next morning he had fallen again. But this time his head and his hands had been broken off. And they were laying across the threshold. Remember that story? So Dagon, the god of the Philistines, is so powerful. He can fight David's god with no hands. Because he didn't have any more hands. Because they got broke off by the god of David. Hmm. But see... He had hope in a false God, hope in a God. Remember the woman speaking. She said, this world has named gods that have no eternal essence. They have put their hope and their trust and their faith in things that cannot provide for them. Goliath, this big guy, he was more convinced that he was big enough. He could whoop anybody no matter what. He wasn't worried about what Dagon could do, but it was part of the culture. For him to call down curses on his enemy through his gods. So it was appropriate then for David to respond the way he did. Because what did David say? David said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Now, we don't need to read the rest of it. We know what happened. He throws the rock. It goes into the forehead. Goliath falls down. He gets a sword, kills him. And the battle's won and they decimate the Philistines. But as I was meditating on this and thinking, and I said, Lord, what? This is such a common story. What can I say? 
that they haven't already heard 25 million times already. And as I was preparing, and it was so crazy because it was just... Because I had picked all of these songs earlier this week. I mean, actually a week and a half ago. God whispered to me yesterday as I was going, God, what do I say? What do I say? He said, why did David say that he comes to Goliath in the name of the Lord? The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Why was that important? And if you go to the Hebrew, it says this word, the Lord of hosts. It's Jehovah Sabaoth. Now, Jehovah is our English way of doing Yahweh. If you remember back when God met with with Moses at the burning bush, and Moses said, if they ask me who you are, what am I supposed to tell them? What is your name? And he said, tell them I am that I am. That's Yahweh. Y H W H. It's a holy name. It's such a holy name that the Israel, the Hebrew people don't even speak the name. It's, it's interesting that we go, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his case is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Jehovah is a name that's supposed to be reverenced. Not that you can't sing about his name, not that you can't call out his name, but it should never be done glibly. Jehovah. Now, Jehovah, in this particular case, it's Jehovah Saba or Sabaoth, which means the God of all of the host. It can be interpreted the God of all of the host of the armies of Israel. It can and is interpreted the God of all of the host of the armies of heaven. He is God Almighty. He is over everything. He is not just over everything. He has control of everything. He commands everything. Everything must submit to his will, to his command, to his word. If he declares it, it will happen. End of discussion. That's what Jehovah Sabaoth means. If you don't fully understand how you can put trust and hope in a name like that, let me move us now to 2 Kings. If you'll open up your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'm going to read for us verses 8 through 23. 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 8 through 23. Just to give you a little bit of background. This is a story about a prophet whose name is Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. And Elisha is the prophet over the nation of Israel. And at this time, the king of Syria has sent an army to attack the nation of Israel. So, verse verse 8 of chapter 6 of 2 Kings. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. Now, stop there. What does it mean when he says he took counsel with his servants? What does that mean? They had a war council. They were in a tent somewhere, a private space, and they were talking their war plans. The king said, we're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to head here. We're going to do these things. It was a top secret meeting. It wasn't discussed publicly. But the man of God 
Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you don't go past this place, for the Syrians are going down there. How did he find out? The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him, and thus he used to warn, used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So in other words, the king of Syria has a top secret meeting with his war council. They decide a plan of action trying to attack the Israelites. Elisha sends word to the king of Israel saying, don't go down there because they're about, the Syrians are about to blah, 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 blah. And the king takes the advice of Elisha. And then the plans of the king of Syria are thwarted. And the king, it says it happened two or three times. And the king is livid. And he says, and the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. Yeah, of course he was troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? What is he asking? He's saying, which one of you people snitched? Which one of you people are a spy? And they said, None, my Lord, but Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, he keeps telling the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And the king said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, uh, we found out, sir, he's in Dothan. So the king of Syria sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. And early in the morning, when the servant of the man of God went out from his tent, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said to him, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, Lord God, please open my servant's eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. And so God struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way. He said this to the Syrians who were blind. This is not the city. Follow me. I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And so he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Oh, Lord, open the eyes of those, these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, not in Dothan where they had been. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He said, no, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? No, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians didn't come again on raids in the land of Israel. Hmm. 
Amazing. Confidence, courage, trust, victory. Because he knew that God had his back. He put his hope and his trust and his faith in Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of all of heaven's hosts. And literally, when he had need, the angels of heaven were all around him. And he could see it spiritually. And he asked his, uh, the Lord to let his servants see it so that they wouldn't, he wouldn't fear. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? If you're one who tends to be fearful, who tends to find yourself in situations where you just feel out of, out of control or, or where you feel overwhelmed, if you could be able to would be able to open up your eyes early in the morning and look out and see in all the surrounding area chariots of fire and horses and the angels with flaming swords saying we're here god has sent us to protect you god has sent us to fight on your behalf wow guess what he's the same god yesterday and today and forever so you can cry out to Jehovah Sabaoth. You can. There is a uh, there is a, a series of radio dramas that my wife and I love. They were put out by uh, Focus on the Family, a Christian ministry, and it's called Radio Theater. And they produced a number of different storylines. Um, some from classic literature and then some are original stories. These are original stories that we listen to. There's eight of them. It's called Father Gilbert Mysteries. And Father Gilbert <clears throat> is an Anglican priest who used to be a detective for the Scotland Yard. And then he got, he, he got his life on track for God and God called him into ministry and so he becomes a priest and he's pastoring a small little church in a small little village and he always ends up somehow tied in with something that's of the supernatural. And there's this one episode called uh, Father Gilbert and the Grey Lady. <clears throat> and the storyline goes a little bit like this. I'm not going to give you the whole story. We don't have time this morning. But the storyline goes like this. There has been a murder on an army base. And the chaplain of the army base contacts Father Gilbert. Because he's been told that Father Gilbert understands things of the supernatural. And that Father Gilbert has a discerning mind and heart. And so he bring, he comes to Father Gilbert and he says, I have something I need to, to share with you. Would you be willing to come out to the base and just interview this soldier who has been arrested for murdering his wife? And so Father Gilbert's like, okay. So he goes and he's in the police station there with the chaplain and the police officer. And they're interviewing this man who has been arrested for murdering his wife. And as the story goes on, it turns out that this man has been visited in his dreams by a very beautiful woman who's dressed in old 1900s era clothing. And she has convinced this man in his dreams that she is his one true love and that the woman that he's married to needs to be removed from them so that they can be together forever. And in a dream, he murders his wife while actually doing it in reality. And then Father Gilbert is like, what? Why did, what? And then it happens a second time. There's another soldier 
who also, same exact story, two separate people, two separate families, same exact story within the same few days. <clears throat> so Father Gilbert has been brought in to investigate, to see what's going on, to see what's going on. The story comes down that what happened was back in the eight, early 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a woman who lived in that village, who lived in the town that, that is now occupied by the, the, the chaplain of the, of the army base. And she was engaged to be married to her true love. She had met this guy when they were little kids. They, she loved him from afar, but then they separated and they were never together. And then finally they get back together again later on in life. She's like in her late 20s, early 30s. And he's same age. And they finally get back together again and they're falling in love and they're going to get married. And as a surprise for her, he contracts with a dear friend of hers to make her a dress. And on the night before the wedding, the bride-to-be bursts into the home of the seamstress, her best friend, and accuses this woman of having an affair with her fiancé, and in a fit of rage, grabs the sewing scissors and plunges them into the heart of her dear friend, murdering her, and then hangs herself, committing suicide. Okay, it's a horrible story, horrible story. But the woman appearing in the dreams is the bride. She's known as the Grey Lady. And this happens every 30 years. From the time of her death, 30 years later, another woman dies. A man told his wife, I mean told him in his dream, a woman told him in his dreams to kill his wife. 30 years later, another one. And now it's been 90 years or 30 years later, and now there's two. And Father Gilbert, recognizes that the chaplain bears a strong resemblance to the two men who both have a striking resemblance to each other. And he begins to fear that the chaplain may be number three. So he runs to the house and he's pounding on the door. Chaplain, let me in. The chaplain has been sleeping. His wife has gone upstairs to take a bath. And the chaplain begins having another one of his dreams about this woman that is his true love, that wants him to be alone with him and him alone. And Father Gilbert can see her standing. He can see her standing at the base of the stairs as the man goes to the kitchen and gets a knife and walks up the stairs to the bathroom where his wife is. And Father Gilbert's finally pounding and finally breaks in the door and the woman is standing at the base of the stairs. She says, Father Gilbert, what are you doing? He said, you need to step aside. And she said, I cannot. You will not separate me from my love. Step aside. I don't know if you're the deceiver or if you've been deceived all these years, but you must face the truth. And he speaks the truth to her. And she says, you can't stop me. You can't stop me. And finally he says, I don't know who you are, whether you are deceived or deceiver, but by the name of Jesus Christ, I am going up those stairs. And she screams and disappears. And he goes up the stairs and he rescues the woman. And the, the, the minister, the chaplain, wakes up from his dream. It's like, what? 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 Fake story. Fake story. Every time I hear that story, I want to stand up and scream, yes! I was going to have you listen to it, but it's too long. It is so cool when he says, by the power of the name of Jesus. And I'm like, yes, I want that. That's what I want for me. I have that. I do. 
And I've used it. But there's one more story. It's actually two, but it's two in one that I want to share with you for just a second. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. The children of Israel have escaped from the Pharaoh. God has taken them through the Red Sea. The Pharaoh's army has been drowned. The Israelites are now following Moses in the wilderness. And it's been three days and they are without water. And they're getting thirsty. They're in the desert. And so chapter 17 of Exodus verses 1 through 7 says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water! And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out to Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're already, they are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take with, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So that was Numbers chapter 17 verses, excuse me, Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 through 7. Now turn to Numbers chapter 20. Very similar story, but not the same story. Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 to 13. Again, Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 to 13. Now there was no water for the congregation. Hmm, sound familiar? And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished with our brothers, perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or pomegranates or vines, and there is no water to drink. And then Moses and Aaron went up from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting, and they fell on their faces. Exactly the same story. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, take the staff. Assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord And through them, he showed himself holy. Same, almost exact story. Almost exact. Go on before God. Oh God, what do we do? God says, take up the staff, walk through the people, bring the elders with you, go to the rock, hit the rock, bring the water. Everyone's happy. Same exact thing, except 
When Moses and Aaron stood at the rock, they said, you stiff-necked people, do we need to bring water for you again? Boom, there's your water. Where was the honoring of God and the honoring of his power and the right use of God's name? I would submit to you that that was taking the name of the Lord in vain by not declaring who was actually doing it. And see, what I wanted to say through these different stories, David had full trust. Bring that slide up with the rocks, please, Craig. David had full courage and confidence. He was prepared. He had spent time with God. He knew everything about how to do it. He trusted and God gave him the victory. And in the same way, Moses received the same thing. God, I trust you. I have confidence. God gave him specific instructions. That was the preparation. And then finally, God brought the victory. And then the same thing happened with the second time at Meribah, where God, again, they went to God. They had trust in God. They had confidence that God could do it. They had the, the, the strength and conviction to go before God. They prepared. They did exactly what God had told them to do. They walked with the staff. They trusted God and they got victory. But the problem was they did it in a way that didn't bring honor and glory to God. They did not honor the name of God. In the same way that Father Gilbert's story He had the authority of Christ. He was covered under the blood of Christ. He had the authority to speak to darkness and command it to be gone there that he could go do what he was needing to do. But I would submit to you that it had a lot to do with his heart before God in the way that he did what he did. Because had he gone in there with like... I'm all that and a bag of chips because I am the servant of the Lord. I'm a priest. I know how to do this. I deal with scientific and supernatural stuff all the time. I deal with all this kind of stuff all the time. So listen to me. That's not how great victories are won. Great victories are won by saying, oh, God, (laughs) oh, God, I am facing a giant right now. This is beyond anything that I know how to do. And I know I have your authority. And I know the blood of Christ covers me. And I know that the Holy Spirit will speak through me when I go to speak. And I know that I can walk in confidence. But God, I don't want to do anything, anything that would violate you. That would dishonor you. That would make people think about any other name but yours. See, the world out there that we deal with on a regular basis, they have already put their hope and their faith and their trust in psychology and finances and education and whatever. We're the ones who have the truth. If you put your hope and your faith and the trust in the name of the Lord God, anything is possible. Because we serve Jehovah Sabaoth, the God who is in control of everything. But we need to be careful that we never allow ourselves to be arrogant or cocky because the victory will still come, (laughs) but the blessing might not. God's still going to get God's will done. I can go back and point to a lot of different stories in the Bible about that. God can still get his will done. 
but you may not get the blessing. It all has to do with you and how you walk through this. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for this story. And I ask God, if there's anything that was of me that would fall aside, I don't want to be remembered for anything. But if there is anything here that is of you, I pray that it would be lasting. That these people would take it with them and that you would bring it back to their memories through the days. And that you would give them opportunity in the very near future, Father, to prove that your name is power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.